Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity now to to take uh, your written word and open it and read it and study it and apply it to our lives. Father, help us just to, in faith, know that this is the absolute truth, Father. It's what we should build our lives upon. It's foundational for us. Help us to learn it and understand it, to memorize it. Lord, help it just to infuse every part of our lives and our hearts and our minds. Be with us this morning as we study now. Just speak very clearly through me. Remove my own desires and thoughts. And instead, fill me with the power of your Spirit, Lord. Allow me to speak truth. And as we study together, Father, may you receive glory. May you receive honor. May we be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. I want to, before I begin, just thank Jeremy Phillips for preaching last week. Jeremy did a fantastic job with modern technology. I was able to listen to the podcast on the way home last week from vacation. Did a a fantastic job. My family and I had the opportunity to go to Disney World for a few days, and so we took it. We had a fantastic time, great vacation. It's good to go, but it's really good to be home. We missed our church family. I missed the opportunity to preach, but it's always good for me to go knowing that the staff we have here, the team that we've assembled is good. They are capable, uh, and leaving it with a team like that, I had no doubts that everything would go well, that everything would run smoothly, and it did. So again, thank you to Jeremy and the team from last week, and and thank you for the opportunity uh, that I had to go and relax a little bit with my family. Now, we're continuing our study this morning in the book of Acts. We're walking verse by verse through this incredibly powerful book with a sermon series that we've entitled, From Ordinary to Extraordinary. We called it that because we believe that the book of Acts especially teaches and talks and displays the power of the Spirit working through ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. And so I want to kind of catch you up on where we are and then jump right in this morning. we got a lot to look at. The Holy Spirit at this moment in our study has already fallen upon the believers. They've gone out to do some pretty incredible things. Uh, Peter and John walked to the temple. They healed the man. He jumped up, ran with them into the temple. Last week, Jeremy preached through Peter's sermon, how Peter, Peter focused on the gospel and on all that Christ had done. And just so you know before we jump in this morning, it's taken us about three weeks to get through this little section of Acts chapter 3 and now into chapter 4, but in in real time this all happened right together. So, So Peter and John walk up to the temple, they heal the man, the man jumps up, he walks into the temple with them. Peter begins to preach and tell the story of Christ. The man is celebrating. The the people are in awe. All that has happened together. And we pick up the story now in Acts chapter 4 verse 1. With Peter and John still in the temple. They've just healed the man. The crowd is gathered. They want to listen to Peter. They want to know all that's happened. And we pick up in Acts chapter 4 verse 1. We have it on the screen as well. 
And as they were speaking, right, this is Peter and John in the temple, immediately following the healing of this man. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, right? They just kind of showed up. Verse 2, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now stop there for a minute. I want to give you this first truth, and then we're going to, as we usually do, kind of work back through it together. Here's the first thing I want you to see in these first few verses. It's, it's applicable in the first century. It still applies today. Truth number one. When the Lord is at work, the enemy will attack when the Lord is at work the enemy will attack. Now remember, Peter and John have just performed this incredible, miraculous thing. This man who could not walk since birth has now gotten up. He's walked into the temple. He's celebrated with these men. The crowd has gathered. They're listening now to this truth. They're listening to all that's happened. And all of a sudden, the religious leaders show up to arrest them. Now look at verse 1 again. Pull that up if you would. And let's kind of look at the group here because this is important. We're going to make a neat connection here. As they're speaking, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Now, the Sadducees were some of the religious leaders of the day. Uh, they had a very close relationship with the Romans. And far more than being interested in the religion side of things, they were more interested in the political side of things. So they kept this close association with the Roman leadership. They wanted to maintain peace. They wanted to be sure that nothing happened in the temple that would stir up any sort of problem for the Romans, any sort of rebellion, anything strange. And so when Peter and John heal this man, they show up along with the captain of the temple who would be like the, the uh, captain of the guard or the police of the temple, and the priests show up to do something about it. Now, we're, we're going to come back to this in a second, but I want you to file this away just for a minute, right? The captain of the temple, the priest, the Sadducees, the Jewish religious leaders of the day are the same people that weeks before had arrested and crucified Jesus. Right, so let's just make that connection. This is not some random group of guys that just showed up. This is the same group that just a few weeks before had arrested, tortured, beaten, crucified Jesus. And they at this point, and this is important, they had hoped when they got rid of Jesus that this Jesus movement was over. There's this guy from Nazareth. He's been walking around doing miraculous things. He's stirring people up. He's causing people to act differently. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. We see it as a rebellion. Let's get this guy. Let's kill him. And when we sort of, sort of cut off the head of the snake, so to speak, when you cut off the leadership, the movement will die, right? That's the hope of the Sadducees, the priest, the captain of the temple. When we get rid of Jesus, the leadership, all of his followers will run scared. They'll go quietly into the night. That was the hope. And now all of a sudden, in the temple, 
are these two men who have proclaimed the name of Jesus, who have healed miraculously. People are beginning to gather to hear the story. And so these Sadducees, these leaders, want to do something about it. Now I love what verse 2 says. Pull that up if you would for me, please. The leaders, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the temple police, were what greatly annoyed Now, I want to read between the lines a little bit. And I'm just kind of inserting this. The Bible doesn't say this, but I think we can kind of make this argument. That after they had gotten rid of Jesus and that movement, they thought it was over. When these guys show up and heal now in the name of Jesus, they were annoyed. That's what the scripture says. But I got a feeling there was a little bit of fear there as well. What are these guys doing? I mean, Jesus did all this sort of stuff and we got rid of him. Why don't these guys just give this up and go away and leave us alone? And so, in the, so for the first time now in the book of Acts, and we're going to see this ramp up, for the first time, persecution is going to begin. Right, and we can apply this in the first century. We can apply this uh, all through the New Testament. We can apply this today as well. When the Lord does miraculous work, the enemy is going to do everything he can to defeat it. Everything he can. We've, we've talked about this before, but I, I, I think it bears repeating. The devil is not passive in his resistance to you. Did you know that? He's active. That's what Scripture says. He is actively prowling around looking for someone to devour. And I promise you, the more the Lord is at work, the more the Lord receives glory, the the greater the, the miracles, and the more the people are acknowledging the power of Christ, the red flags are going up for the enemy. He's going to do everything he can to defeat this group of people. Now, I want to translate that to today because I believe the Lord is at work in our church. I believe God has, has blessed Rosemont for 50, almost 50 years now. I think we can point to stories and we're going to do that. We're going to celebrate on the 15th and then for many, many weeks after that, we're going to tell a lot of the stories. We're not going to try to cram it into one Sunday. It'd be impossible. We're going to tell some of the stories of the faithfulness of the people of this church for 50 years. But I believe because the Lord has is, is done and is doing some pretty incredible things in our church, I think we all need to be aware of the attacks that the enemy is going to try to throw on us. We need to kind of have our guards up. I'm, I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 6. If you've never read Ephesians 6 or it's been a long time, you ought to reread it. It's the armor of God. Where Paul kind of goes into the armor we put on. And one of the things he says in verse 16 is that in all circumstances, we should take up the shield of faith, which, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Right? So, so there's this spiritual picture of the enemy just firing arrows at us. Firing flamey arrows, trying to defeat us, trying to destroy us, looking into your life, looking into your weak spots, finding the chink in your armor, and attacking and trying to destroy. Paul says we need to put up this, this shield of faith to protect ourselves from all the enemy's going to do. Now here's what we need to be careful not to do, because some of us will look at this story, this account in Acts 4, and by the way, persecution is going to ramp up. If we're going to graph persecution, it's going to kind of start slow and it's going to ramp up in a hurry over the next several chapters. We'll see that. But, but it'd be very easy for us to say, well, th- this is you know, kind of an isolated event. Yes, it happened in the book of Acts, but that was the beginning of the church, the first century of the church. And so the enemy obviously was a more alert and aware and attacked them more. Uh, but we don't have to worry about spiritual attack anymore because it's isolated the book of Acts. I would say to you that's completely false. 
Instead, what we've seen is that from the beginning, the enemy is going to do everything he can to destroy the work of the Lord. It started in Genesis chapter 3. God creates everything. He looks upon it and it's good. He's got this relationship with Adam and Eve. The Bible says that he, he literally walks in the cool of the day with them in the garden. There's this intimate, close, personal relationship with these people, Adam and Eve. They sin and the devil enters the picture and he does everything he can to destroy this fellowship from the beginning. We see it all through the Old Testament. I think about King David and and the plans that the Lord had for him and how he wanted to use him and how he allowed the enemy. Just a crack now. Just a crack as he's walking on his terrace. He looks out and he sees Bathsheba. It leads him to sin. The enemy tries to defeat what the Lord's called him to do. Jesus is baptized. The, The Bible says he immediately, through the Spirit, is led into the wilderness. What does the enemy do while he's in the wilderness? You remember? Attacks him challenges and tempts him. We've seen time and time and time again the enemy's going to do everything he can to destroy the people of the Lord. Now here's where sometimes we get a little down about this. Man, the enemy's at work. He's attacking me. He's going to try to defeat me. It's very easy to get down and upset, but, but kind of take heart because look what happens in verse 4. Pull that up for me if you would, please. Right, the attack of the enemy's beginning. These men are arrested. Persecution is going to start. But... See that? Many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. So we go from 120 in the upper room that are scared to death. The early part of the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. They come down. Peter preaches. 3,000 are saved. The end of chapter 2, more added to their number daily. Chapter 4 now, 5,000. The number is increasing, growing. In the midst of this persecution, even though the enemy is attacking, the Lord will receive glory. And I think some of us just need to be reminded of that truth. Because as we go through struggles, as we go through trials, as the enemy attacks us, as we feel sometimes utterly defeated, we always need to remember that even in those low moments, even as the Holy Spirit is at work, even as the enemy is attacking us, God is always going to receive glory in our lives. Look to that. Hold on to that truth. Allow that truth to guide you. So persecution begins, enemy attacks. Let's continue verse 5. So Peter and John are taken into custody. They spend the night in jail. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered in Jerusalem. These are all the leaders. Now verse 6 is going to give us a little more clue into this connection. And Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Those names may ring a bell to you. We're going to come back to them in a second. Verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. Right. So they bring Peter and John in. They put them in the midst of this leadership group uh, and they said to them in verse 7 by what power or by what name did you do this incredibly interesting question verse 8 then Peter filled with the spirit as we've seen already before in this study he said to them rulers of the people and elders if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man has been healed let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well 
This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Incredible. (laughs) Persecution begins, the enemy attacks, he's going to do everything he can to defeat this movement. And yet, truth number two, we see the power of God is clearly displayed through his followers. Even in the midst of this persecution... Even in the midst of the attack by the enemy, even in the midst of of Satan trying to derail and, and stop all the Lord is doing, the power of God is clearly displayed through these followers. Now, we've already talked about the Sadducees and the religious leaders. And then in verse 6, pull verse 6 up if you would for me, please, again. We see some very specific names. Verse 6 says, Annas the high priest and Caiaphas. Now you may say, I recognize those names. They, they ring a bell to me. I'm not quite sure where I've heard them. Well, just kind of pause there for a second. You don't have to look back, but I'm going to read for you John chapter 18, beginning in verse 12. Jesus has been arrested in John 18, 12. The Bible says, so the band of soldiers and their captain And the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him, for they led him to Annas, the same Annas we see in Acts chapter 4, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the same Caiaphas we see in Acts chapter 4, who was the high priest that year. And it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Now just put this in context. The very same leaders that had arrested and crucified Jesus have now called in Peter and John and they're questioning them because of what they've done. Now this is interesting to me. I want you to notice this. I think this is very important. Pull up, if you would, please, verse 7. Because Peter and John have spent the night in jail... They've been called in the next morning to to, to the religious leaders. And the religious leaders, the the very first thing they ask them isn't, hey, prove that this happened or explain to us how you tricked us. The very first question they ask is, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now let me translate this for you. These religious leaders have no doubt that this miracle actually happened. They want to know where they got the power to do it. Right, I fast forward 2,000 years, we would say, oh, who's the, who's the actor you used to, to play this guy for the last 20 years? Because clearly this guy can walk. You had somebody else sitting out by the gate. Or we would say somebody, how did the doctors misdiagnose this guy for so long when in fact he could actually walk? Or we'd ask, all, is it real? Did you trick us? They don't ask any of those questions. No doubt in their mind, this actually happened. The question is, how did you get the power? By whose name did you do this? Now, I'm reminded of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. When we started this series, and we studied through the first chapter of the books, I I commented to you several different times, and I'll continue to do this, that Acts 1-8, I believe, is kind of the, the thesis statement. It's the summary statement for the rest of the book of Acts. Everything flows out of Acts 1.8. And Acts 1.8 says, you probably remember, Jesus speaking to his followers, but you will receive, do you remember the word? Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
All Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now if we're going to talk about power, we would expect amazing things to happen, wouldn't we? We would expect salvations to take place. They have. We would expect healings to take place. They have. We would expect boldness from the followers through this power. We've seen this. And so what we notice now is that through these men, through these ordinary guys that God used to do extraordinary things, the, the power of the Lord, the majesty of the Lord, the glory of the Lord is boldly proclaimed through these men. Peter and John stand up and say, listen, I need to kind of explain to you what happens. And, and this, is, this is where Peter just really begins to kind of grow into who he's going to become and really kind of step out on faith. Because he says to them in verse 10, let's look at it again together. Let it be known to all of you, right? He's speaking to, to the, again, I, I can't emphasize this enough. He's speaking to the men that crucified Jesus weeks before. The same Peter that when he was questioned about Jesus as Jesus was being arrested, he lied three different times, denied Jesus, and ran off into night. The same guy now, several weeks later, speaking to the very men that arrested and crucified Jesus, said, let it be known to all of you (laughs) and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, right? There's the finger in the chest. You did it. Whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And then he goes into verse 12, which I think is is kind of the heart of his argument. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter, standing in front of this group of people, not only calls out their sins, but calls them to repentance. You killed him. Your sin murdered him. You need to repent of your sins and be saved. Now, the situation is different for us. The time period is different for us. But the application is the same. Let's be very clear about this. Our sins crucified Jesus. We have been separated from the Lord from our, because of our sinfulness. There is no way back. We can't work our way back. We can't be kind enough to people. We can't come to church enough times. We can't give enough money. None of those things will bridge that gap. It's only through Christ that we are saved. I just, want to, I just want to reemphasize that because I just feel like even within a church our size, there are probably people that are misinformed about this. Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus Christ. If, if you have not, just, just check and engage your heart at this moment. If you have not repented of your sins and accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are not saved. Peter is, is very clear with these men. So he's filled with the Spirit, right? The enemy is attacking. He's trying to defeat the, the disciples. He's trying to defeat the Lord. The glory of the Lord and the boldness and the power of the Spirit is being made known now through these followers of Jesus. Now let's continue in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, right? These are the religious leaders. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common, I would add in their ordinary men, they were astonished. There's nothing fancy about these guys. 
They're not educated. They're not doing anything. Nothing fancy. They're common. We're astonished at what they've done. And they recognize that they've been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition, right? They couldn't question the miracle. Only the means by which the miracle was produced. Verse 15, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. Right? So Peter and John are escorted out. The council, beginning in verse 16, is talking, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a noble sign has been performed through them, through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Right? It's clear this guy's been healed. But in order that it may spread no further, right? They want to end this Jesus movement among the people. Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus, right? So Peter and John, don't talk about Jesus anymore. Don't preach the gospel anymore. You need to zip it, you know, throw away the key and don't ever talk again about Jesus because we're done with that. Now, I just put myself in the place of Peter. I put myself in the place of John. I think I'm standing before the men that crucified Jesus. I know their power. I know their connections. I know what they're capable and probably willing to do. And I think to myself, I probably would say, you know what? Sorry. <laughs> I'll be a little quieter. We'll, be, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of do our own thing. We're not going to push it anymore. You won't hear any more from us. We'll kind of just settle in in our own little houses. And that's not at all what Peter says. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered them. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go. Finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Here's truth number three. We've seen the spirit attack. We've seen the, the enemy attack. We've seen the spirit move. We've seen the power of the spirit displayed through the believers. And now finally, truth number three. We see the boldness of Peter and John affecting other people. Your boldness in Christ will affect others. Now I think about Peter and John and I think, you know, how could they be so bold in front of these men? These men said, listen, you need to be quiet. Don't talk about him again. It's over. Get out of here. Be quiet. Leave everybody alone. Peter and John says, listen, whether or not you listen to God is up to you. We can't be quiet. We are going to continue to talk about the things we've seen and there's nothing you can do about it. Drop the mic. Boom, right? Just kidding, they didn't drop the mic. That would have been the time to do it. We're going to talk. We're going to proclaim. We're going to share Jesus. There, there's nothing you can do about it. And I think, I just wonder how they were so bold, right? How did they find that courage? How did they find that strength? Well, the, the, the Spirit had enlightened them. The Spirit had empowered them. And they knew something that the Sadducees and the religious leaders didn't know. This is important. They knew how the story was going to end. They knew that persecution probably would come. It would probably be difficult. It would not always be easy. But in the end, they knew Jesus was going to be victorious. They knew the, the end of the story. They, they knew how the game was going to play out. They, they knew that it wasn't going to be easy in the meantime. But ultimately, Christ was going to receive glory and he was going to be victorious. You ever had the opportunity to, to, to record something on TV? 
and watch it later because you didn't have time to watch it when it was live. You ever done that? When I was a kid, I can remember football games. I, I love college football, and, and many of you love college football. And there were some times when I couldn't maybe see a Georgia game, and so I'd have to get mom or dad to record it for me. The old VHS tapes, you remember? Big, you know, put in the machine, close the thing, rewind it for 20 minutes, and then you could watch the game. That's how it used to work. So I would get them to record the game, and uh, sometimes I would hear the score. Sometimes I wouldn't. I liked to watch it without knowing the score so I could be excited. But there were times when I knew the end before I watched the game. You ever watched a, a football game knowing how it was going to end up? You ever done that? It's very interesting. Because this, this kind of strange things happen. If you know you won, you can kind of relax during the game. You know, Georgia throws a pick six. Ha, 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 ha. You know, nobody cares. We give up a 50-yard punt return for touchdown. It's fine, right? We're going to win. Fourth and goal, we're behind with two seconds. It's okay, we're going to win. You, you have this sense of empowerment and boldness because you know the end of the story. You don't have to worry about the, the nickel and dime stuff in the middle. It's like that with Peter and John. It ought to be like that with us because we know the end of the story, don't we? We know how it's going to end. You don't have to wait to, to open up the sports page or ESPN.com tomorrow to see the end of the story. We've already seen it in Scripture. It's been played out before our very eyes. Jesus will be victorious. We're part of the winning team. That should lead us to incredible boldness. It ought to lead us to courage to stand up for the name of Christ. When people malign us or make fun of us or marginalize us, we ought to be able to just kind of shake it off because we know how the story ends. Christ has called me to something greater and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish His purpose in my life. Some of you guys have heard the name Richard Wormbrand. Strange name, but he was a Romanian pastor for many, many years He's known because he was in prison for his faith under the communist control for about 13 or 14 years. He lived in prison. About three of those years was solitary confinement. He was not allowed to speak to a single person. He was finally released and has written extensively about his torture. He wrote the book Tortured for Christ. One of the co-founders of the organization Voice of the Martyrs. But he made this comment, I read it this week, and it just it really hit me right between the eyes as we think about boldness and stepping out in faith and living a life for Christ. He says this. I think we have it on the screen. There are two kind there are two kinds of Christians. Those who sincerely believe in God and those who just as sincerely believe that they believe. You can tell them apart by their actions in decisive moments. Wow. Which one of those are you? Do you really believe? Or you just believe that you believe? Are you living your life for Christ in the decisive moments? Is God at work in your heart? Are you recognizing His power? Are you allowing Him very simply to take an ordinary, sinful, common person... And through the power of the Spirit, do extraordinary things for the sake of the kingdom. That ought to be your prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the truth of your word. We thank you for this account, Lord, of Peter and John. For their boldness, Lord, even in the, the beginnings now of persecution. The boldness of these men and these followers to display the power of Christ, Lord. To display your glory. 
We thank you, Father, that their boldness was evident to all, that the religious leaders took note, the people around them took note. Father, I pray this would spur us on to boldness, to courage, to trusting you more and more. Father, use us. We know the end of the story, Lord. We know how it's going to end. Give us the boldness now to walk in that confidence, to walk in that trust regardless of what it may cost us. Use us for the sake of your kingdom. And we'll give you the honor and the glory for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' powerful name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. It's an opportunity for you to respond. I'll be happy to talk to you. However the Lord leads you, this is your opportunity. You come as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.